Hello and welcome. I'm Sam Harris, and it is my true honor and pleasure to host you here on the Growth Mindset Podcast. I talk to amazing individuals about how they achieve their dreams and break down the strategies it takes to lead explosive tech businesses to being paid to travel the world. I deep dive into topics such as Bitcoin and fintech or just how to get stuff done with the goal of increasing our own collective wisdom and making us all happier, healthier and wealthier. Who doesn't want that? Today, I take a step back from the world to have an evening in with my flatmate and best friend, Theo Ricketts, who really tell our stories of all the antics we have got up together that cover a broad range from the ridiculous to bloody ingenious, if I say so myself. People often ask you what you've been doing lately or how a holiday went, and it's really hard to ever actually give them a picture of what the hell happened or tell them anything useful from it. So this is actually a full in-depth, gritty and hilarious insight into the real life of a pair of entrepreneurs for two years. So when you ask a fellow traveller or entrepreneur what they've been doing recently and they say, oh, uh, stuff, I guess, maybe, well, this is actually what they mean. So listen on to find out some tips like how to live in London for free or how to get paid to go on holiday or how to start a sex business or maybe embarrassingly fail at starting a sex business because you're scared of talking to prostitutes or how to infiltrate your biggest competitor and sit down with the CEO and ask them the finer details of their business model. Hopefully some of those things are for you. And thus, it is now my greatest honour and privilege to introduce Theo Ricketts. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Can you please introduce yourself? So I'm Theo. I'm here with Sam. So me and Sam have known each other for, how long has it been now? Three years? Yeah. Yeah, I remember the first time that I met you, actually. You didn't know me because you were giving the talk in um, one of our engineering entrepreneurship yeah. lectures. The only entrepreneurship course in the entire Bristol University. And it was engineers. You had been running your courier company. Yeah. Where you had the brilliant idea to do local deliveries on bike because it was cheaper and more environmentally friendly than mm. people driving around in lorries and that kind of thing. This was before like Deliveroo and yeah. all of these cycle companies kind of took off and became a thing. And you came at it from a really eco-friendly kind of angle, which was super nice. No, it was, cause Bristol kind of has that like really yeah, environmentally yeah, friendly community ethos about it, right? Yeah. And you kind of fit in like perfectly to that. And everyone knew around the city, your bikes. Yeah, so I heard of you because I was yeah, talking I was... to Nish, a guy on our course. He mentioned that he spent the summer holidays doing like an internship with you. He was feeling down one day over the summer. His mates were going around, going on holiday, and he was like stuck for things to do. Yeah. And he said that he decided, he heard what you were doing, and he just gave you a call out of the blue. And was like, man, I think what you're doing is really interesting and really cool. I want to help out. And get involved. I don't know how true this story is from Nish. That's 100% true. Yeah. <laughs> Nish is a funny guy. It was really And random. he just called you up and came to Bristol and started like, living in your flat. <laughs> he would go on these passionate like talks about how much he learned from you and how much he learned in the process and stuff. And mm. He was always good at coming out with all of these Yeah, really he's wise. a good talker. Maybe we should have him on the podcast. Maybe, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we met and you already knew who I was, which is your yeah. background to that. My background was... I was running the base camp incubator for Bristol University, which um, hosts young entrepreneurs. And um, we've already had one guest, Tom Carter, who I met in uh, my uh, initial interviews when I was 
mentoring people. And so now this is our second guest from my base camp days. Uh, Tommy, Tommy kind of counts as well, actually. Tommy no, was in base no, camp. No, he never came. Oh, he he, he wasn't base camp before you were there. Oh, yeah, he didn't yeah. see much afterwards. But he's a, he's a base camp connection. Okay. Well, anyway, I'm trying to get... <laughs> You're the story. So there's two definite people that came into my room. Well, there's, there's quite a lot of memorable people, actually. But two people that definitely came in and slightly blew my mind with what they could do with tech. And um, you are one of those two. I uh, definitely remember the day and uh, Alex, who will probably also be on the podcast soon, who I ran the space with. We both asked her, like, wow, I have no idea how this guy just did that. Like, yeah. yeah. We had a good conversation about you afterwards. But basically you came in... It doesn't sound so cool now because of a lot of people that have done this since. But at the time, it was just like crazy magic. But you'd been writing um, an algorithm as part of your degree uh, for um, basically watching people. And so you had this business model whereby you could stick a webcam on top of an advert and you could see how many people had looked at it as they were walking past, like a poster or something. So you could do pay-per-view, but on like static adverts in like a shop window or something. So just like a pay-per-click on... A website you could do that but in a shop window so you know i've had a thousand people actually look at my poster and that's the amount i paid for and then it'll go to the next person that was well, that was exactly it and it was the, that was the original idea that wasn't yeah. what it kind of pivoted into but the original idea was to use computer vision to mm. measure the number of impressions you have for a digital billboard yeah and, and what, then people would be able to pay per yeah, yeah. Uh, per view for the what, what year was this this like, was in 2012 12, 13, maybe 14. earlier than that. Well, I don't know when you started. It. I think it was 2013 when maybe I was 2013. Base camp. But either way, it was like, wow, I had no idea a computer could do that. That's kind of scary at the time. And so I definitely remember that first meeting. And then, um, yeah, you were just really like excited guy and you got like really into sort of all the advice we gave you and you like, went and read all the books and you like filled in oh, all yeah. the things. And it was like, wow, this guy's trying so hard. He's really cool. So we always enjoyed our time with you. It was useful advice. Mm. It was kind of like I had no idea yeah. about anything entre entrepreneurship. entrepreneurship. When you said things like, you recommended this book because it helped you loads and this is what uh, this was useful to you when you were running your business, which was like working and you were doing it and other people weren't. I was kind of like, wow, <laughs> yeah. jump on that opportunity to read the book. Go I remember first. it was um, Being Stars, My Entrepreneur. Oh, that one, yeah. That was it was the first book you, you gave me and I... Stayed up all night reading it. <laughs> How do you remember your main lesson from that book? I feel like I'm in a test. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> Isn't that the one with like you've got the four people in your business? Yeah, that's right. It was yeah. four. It was. It was talking about like, like the perfect roles. kind of yeah, roles team. in the team, and it went through there kind of like how they think a team should be structured and the relationship between the people in the team. Mm. I don't think I made too many notes on the book as I was reading it, but I did like highlight some key things. As we're talking about books, and at some point we need to do it, are there any other books that you um, would recommend people read for life and or entrepreneurship or yes. self-improvement? Yeah? Good. <laughs> Stephen Hawking. Yes? I think that everyone should read science. What age were you when you first read Stephen Hawking? You know what? I can tell you. I have a book over here. A Brief History of Time. Oh, no. To my dear Thea, congratulations on your results. I am very proud of you. And remember, use your wisdom wisely. All my love... Mum, kiss. Uh, that's, a, that's the first clue. This would have been... I don't think it was Sats. How old are you in Sats, year nine? I don't know. What's that, like... 13, 14. 13, 14. So this must have been 15. All right. And um, did it massively change your opinion on things then? I think that if I didn't read stuff like this, 
then I wouldn't have been interested in science as a kid. If I wasn't interested in science as a kid, I wouldn't have gone into engineering. Okay. If I didn't go into engineering, and if I didn't go into tech, I think I would be a completely different person to who I am now. So the butterfly effect yeah. takes off. But I think anyone who reads science, it will always lead you to like do something completely different. Yeah. But anyway, you were running that business, and I think, would you say that was your first business venture? I started a car washing business when I was younger. No way. Yeah, I bought... Um, I bought a bucket, convinced my friends to come with me, and uh, bought some soap, tallied up the total, yeah. and said, if we wash this many cars by the end of today, we've broken even. But we did buy a lot of, lot of stuff. That's cool. And so did you make that? Was that just like for one day you did it and then got bored? Or? No, we did it for a few days. Yeah? Made enough money? Yeah, a little bit, yeah. For a kid. But yeah. like a lot of money when you're a kid is like... Yeah, yeah, like a few hey, pounds, I can go, can buy sweets. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Did you spend myself. it all on sweets? I don't think so. I used Computer to collect. Games? I used to collect lots of pound coins. Actually, even earlier than that, I guess, I think I've called this a business. Yeah. So I used to go swimming in a leisure centre from when I was five. I don't know if you remember, they don't do it so much anymore, but they used to have the one pound lockers in the yeah. changing rooms. And there must have been like over a hundred and something lockers in the changing rooms. Yeah. And... Inevitably, people would put pounds in and they'd take out their stuff and they'd forget them. Yeah. So I would go around every day as soon as I arrived and just open every single locker. Yeah. And every time I would go, I would get always consistently from five pounds up to like wow. some other That's amount. Nice. And I would go every week. Yeah. And just collect pound coins as this little kid. Yeah. At one point, I had like hundreds of pound coins That's in amazing. my room just piled up. I used to be a lifeguard, and um, sometimes when I was like having like <laughs> a boring day, uh, cleaning things and then wanted to avoid someone, I'd definitely just check all the lockers. And... Yeah. But apparently, where I come from, people weren't so negligent and not used to so many pound coins. It was quite a big leisure centre, so there was quite a lot of lockers. And there was like three levels to each one. and... Yeah. Well, that's a similarity I never knew we had. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> but I don't, I don't think that counts as a business. Yeah, I'm not sure that's really a business. Like, such as but what is a, what, what is a business? Define a business. It's where you, like, sell something. That, I think that's quite a vague guess, definition yeah. of a business. Because there's a lot of criminal organisations that I would call businesses, and I don't yeah, think they yeah. really sell anything. Actually, maybe they do. Let's see what um, the internet has to say. What does Google say? If you Google business <sighs> definition, oh, we can make up definitions all we want to fit our descriptions, but Google... Google is the holy grail. Person's regular occupation, profession, or trade. Commercial activity. Commercial activity. I think that okay. counts as commercial activity. The business dictionary. An organization... Blah. Oh, this should have been in my tongue twister. An organization <laughs> or economic system where goods and services are exchanged for one another or for money. So goods or services I don't exchange. think those businesses describe a lot of businesses. I think those contractors don't even fit into that definition of a business. They're not an organisation. Well, I well, think you could say the they're running businesses. Definitely not right. And every business requires some form of investment and enough customers to whom its output can be sold on a consistent basis in order to make a profit. Where is it getting this definition from? I don't know. Uh, maybe well, we, anyway. Maybe we shouldn't use that one. Yeah. <laughs> I still don't think like it's exactly a business. So if you sort of... Like, I've got the rights to put these lockers and I'm going to stop other people from, like, looking through the lockers each day and you maybe got your friends to, like, go through all the lockers or something. I don't know. I don't think that's... I think that's, like, a common trait of businesses, but I don't think yeah. that that's what defines a business. Okay. Well, you mentioned slightly illegal businesses, which also links into the next business idea you had after I met you, which was... Uh... <laughs> Purple Menu. Yes. I remember one day I was reading some statistics on the number of 
people who are forced into human trafficking. And I was reading some of the experiences that some of these girls have to go through. And I found a lot of them horrific. And I was genuinely thinking about solutions that people could come up with and charities mm. that could help these people. And I ended up stumbling across a market-based solution to prostitution. It was so much easier and more natural to pitch when I was doing <laughs> when I was doing it. I like the way that you're framing the problem. I think that's kind of important. But then it's sort of easy to describe that at a very simple level, Uber for prostitutes. Yeah, that's right. It was around the time where Uber was kind of taking off. Yeah. And Uberfication of stuff was becoming a big thing, kind of like AI today, but everything was like Uber this, Uber that. We want to do Uber for dry cleaning. We want to do Uber for teaching, Uber for all of these different services. And one of the biggest industries I know of and one of the oldest professions on the planet is prostitution. Mm -hmm. So kind of having an Uber for prostitution to bring it into the 21st century seemed like an ob obvious thing to do. Obviously, that's not how the idea came about. It was through the social entrepreneurship. It's more the social challenge of problems going on in people being forced into things and not getting a fair deal and the money going to like pimps and like all the wrong people rather than the actual girls that are doing the work. Yeah. And kind of the social challenge against it and like the difficulties to get in, like the danger of going into being a prostitute and sort of if a girl wants to make money by doing things, then maybe she should be more able to do that rather than having to make it difficult and like dangerous. Yeah, that's kind of the arguments for prostitution, free choice, that people should be yeah. able to do what they want. But then the other side of it is, regardless of what you think about whether people should have that choice or not, and yeah. there will always be people who do it, yeah. and there is millions of people who do do it, and there's a lot of money in it, and there's it's always going to be an issue. So the question is more, what can you do to make it safer for prostitutes, and what can you do to make it safer for the people using the prostitutes and there's kind of two sides to it one side is safety for the prostitutes they get a random call from some person who they've never met they have to turn up at their house they're completely vulnerable a lot of the times because of laws about brothels you can't have more than two prostitutes working in the same building they often have to work alone and they can't get protection they make it kind of a really dangerous environment to be in and because it's a criminal activity you have pimps and it's associated with a lot of crime and violence mm. there's a human trafficking aspect as well where a lot of women are forced to come into the country the, um, they can't go to the police because otherwise they'd have to leave the country so instead of you having to go to some dodgy directory open uh, the back page of a newspaper and call some number people would be able to browse through an app or online and choose the girl that they'd like to be with and pay through the app. Mm. So the escort knows that she's going to get her money. It's been paid up front. Mm -hmm. And the ID and verification of the customer is been verified. So we know if anything happens, that the escort will be able to track down the customer because their ID is on record. From the customer's point of view, something that I think is just as powerful and often overlooked is that we can verify that the escort is able to work in the UK. So we can guarantee that the escort isn't someone who's been smuggled into the country. So someone who's using the platform to meet escorts is going to ensure that they're not supporting human trafficking, which I think is a really powerful thing. Yeah, okay. So that's basically the human, the, the human proposition. The general business model of how it would work and then you just charge a small fee for each transaction and 
basically you came to me with the idea of being like sam do you want to become a pump a pimp yeah you had big ideas for the platform and if you could have taken over the whole uk market kind of thing it would have been huge and it was kind of a really nice idea i still kind of like it but it's still like a hazy would it look really but i think bad? i think i know based on what other people are doing now i think yeah. i know what's going to work okay so you have um people like Ulala. Yeah. Who have brought in the idea of paid dating. So you can pay a certain amount of money, a couple of hundred dollars to meet with a girl and she can agree or disagree to go on a date, which is often just a case of arranging a date in someone's bedroom or hotel. Mm. But what they did, which is one of the hardest things to do, is make it easy or reduce the barriers for women to go onto the platform. Because I think most people who have tried stuff like this have found it really easy. I think this is an exception for most businesses because I think most businesses it's usually the other way around. They found it's really easy to find customers, people who are willing to pay to be on the platform. But in order to get the service providers, I think prostitution is a bit unique and that is a real grey area. Yeah. And it's not something that people who provide the service are as open to putting themselves online to do and to keep the standard high. And most people who failed in that industry have failed because... They couldn't get the escorts to move onto the platform. So I think the thing that will work will be kind of an equivalent of Tinder, but for escorts where you can like kind of say, what's your price? What price are you willing to pay and match people based on some, yeah, like I'm willing to pay this. You've got a match. This is someone that you'd say you, you'd, how much would you pay to sleep with this person? How much would you be willing to be paid to sleep with this person? And they kind of match you together. And that's kind of feels completely natural it's mm. fun and i think it just works okay cool <laughs> so ultimately our uh, goals of being the biggest pimps on the planet failed um <laughs> we did well actually on a side note that's actually the very first podcast recording i ever did was uh I went to Berlin and I infiltrated Ulala's oh, headquarters yeah. and I <laughs> interviewed their ceo on the premise of i was writing a blog and um recorded it and i actually really enjoyed the process it was like wow i really like recording these things and i sent you the recording and you were like oh my god they're doing all these things they're taking these things over and yeah it was a really fun fun time actually and uh, unfortunately there's a lot of noise i probably won't ever be able to release that but it turns out they're really cool and I actually quite not quite like them and i'm happy we haven't become competitors with them but yeah that was my uh, first real interview with a CEO of business, trying to work things out for you. Um, anyway, on that side note, back to what I was about to say, which I've now forgotten. So I'm doing really well at this also. Yeah, so that kind of failed, basically. Yeah. Um, what do you think was your main lesson from that failure? Or do you think it was more a case of, like, it started to be a di- bit difficult to take the next level, is you should have had most of the platform ready, but some, we had a real issue with basically, you know, like you said, trying to find girls to go onto the platform. Then, like... We're both super scared of trying to cool out these prostitutes. <laughs> they answer the phone and be like, oh, hi, honey. And you're like, hi, I've got this new platform. You go, oh, bye. You're like, yeah, I think, oh. I think that was like um, the big realisation that um, getting your first users and sales is like super important. Yeah. And I think it wasn't as bad as you see a lot of people do it where they'll spend months building something. It's yeah. It's pure MVP. Mm. But um, you still definitely spent a few still, weeks like building this platform, yeah, yeah, and exactly. doing other things to them. Exactly. 
get to the part of like okay this is the important thing that yeah, yeah, if I can't yeah. do this it'll never happen yeah yeah when it never happened in, in reality that could have been done from day one yeah there was like we did do um some other stuff like um when you say it was a few weeks of, of tech part of that was tech for sales mm. so we, we scraped all of the phone numbers of all of the prostitutes listed yeah. online in the country and sent out kind of A-B tests yeah, yeah. for different text messages to get responses. Cool. And um, I can't remember word for word what the most successful message was that we sent out. But the one with the highest response rate was, Hi, there, insert their name. I've set you up. Profile. I've set you up a profile on Purple Menu. Uh, here's the link. Insert bit.ly link. Let me know if you have any questions or have any cues. And uh, that one had the most number of responses. But when you actually went through the responses, a lot of people were like, take that down. You did this without my permission. And were quite angry. Uh, But it definitely gauged like the most responses more than almost anyone. Cool. All right. So yeah, valuable lessons. And (laughs) did build some cool tech along the way. So it wasn't... Which which is always a learning exercise. But yeah, in terms of making a real successful business, maybe not the best. But there was actually one in between that. That was weekly. Yeah. So you're going to that then? Yeah, because Purple Menu kind of came and then that was like at the end of uni and graduation. Yeah. Ah. And do you remember we jumped okay, back, dates to, have gone back to Purple yeah. Menu? I remember Zwickly. Zwickly was cool. So Zwickly was quite cool. So it started off as a... Build your own website. It started off with a way to automatically generate custom personalized websites for people before they've even requested or known that they were going to have a website, requested a website. Mm. Before they've even requested a website. So it would... Any people? So firstly, it started with eBay. So I took... Uh, I scraped eBay. And using the company name, their logo, all of their product list, prices, photos of their products, contact information. I scraped all this information and was able to auto-generate websites for people. Yeah. So you could send someone a link with a completed website pre-populated with all their products. Mm. and they would be able to market that site, get traffic and sell the products that they were yeah. already selling through eBay. And the trickiest thing about that was contacting sellers directly through eBay at mm. scale is something that's quite hard to do. Uh, you can do it manually, but if you try to do it in bulk, then eBay, like, eBay's spam filters will like kick off and it requires lots of... So as far as kind of minimal MVP of like some random graduate trying to do something which is semi-scalable. Mm-hmm. Um, eBay wasn't the ideal place to target people. So I looked at a bunch of different options for places where I could scrape data and build custom websites. And by far the most compelling was... So mm. Just Eat is like the UK a lot of Europe. platform for getting takeaways online. And... For Uber Eats and all that. Exactly, long before Uber Eats and all of that. Um, So they would all fulfill their own deliveries. Yeah. That was a goldmine of data on every single takeaway delivery business in the UK. You had their full menu, all their prices. You had their logo, logo, branding, colour schemes from that. And their addresses and contact information, everything that you need. And we would take their logo... Uh, pick out the most common colours, use some algorithm to generate synthetically pleasing colours to Mm. give them brand colours. Depending on the type of business, whether they were Chinese, Indian, Mexican, Italian, we would build a customised website automatically to their brand and logo, Uh, use stock photos of 
all of their food item menus and prices, give directions, map pages on their website. And we could do this automatically to people who are completely non-technical. So the barrier to a 50-year-old Chinese guy who doesn't really speak much English and doesn't know how to use a computer and is super uh, anti-tech, kind of technophobe, coming to them and saying, how much do you think a website will cost? No, it's too expensive. It will cost hundreds, thousands to develop a website. This yeah. is this is what like what you say when you talk to them in their mind. And then when you say, hey, I can give you a website for free and you can just pay a small amount of money per month. That's like mm-hmm. a huge thing. Because even though there's tools out there to design websites really easily, there's still a lot of people out there. It's easy when you're in tech to think things like Weebly and all of these the Squarespace yeah. tools that make it effortless to design like beautiful websites really easily. To a lot of people still, that's yeah, so a huge barrier and it's really scary and yeah. they don't know anything about technology and uh, how to get their website uh, traffic and things like that. Mm. So when you can auto- auto-generate something. Yeah, the take-up on that was quite well. So I spoke to I spoke to most of the, I think nearly all of the delivery businesses in Wellington in the area Yeah, where I started and people were very like keen and willing to like work on Wellington mm. sites and stuff. It was around the time where I had my disaster relationship. Yeah, that <laughs> was another whole thing of podcasting that I went to go into. Yes. Yeah. Okay, your relationship. Yeah, maybe that not this one. one. Yeah, okay. I hadn't yeah. even thought about that relationship. I, yeah. <laughs> I was thinking about all the other ones during Airbnb <laughs> first. Yeah, you've got a big life history, bro. Um, <laughs> okay, anyway, so the business was kind of good, but I think this life was... kind of got in the way. This was the th- first time where there was like customers who yeah. were like willing to pay for something mm-hmm. and an MVP that worked. And I, th- I think it was the kind of business that is a kind of lifestyle lifestyle business. Yeah, no, that could Where it's great. not super long term and mm. uh, it's not like the you can build a global empire off of this one like product. But it had a lot of opportunities to yeah. expand into other areas. I yeah, no, I think I'm, it could have been big. Be I, I remember I went to a, an Indian festival two years later yeah. and I saw a firm that was literally doing that and like they had a stall and yeah. they had a lot of customers and it was like, fear mate, <laughs> this could have yeah, been really you. And like, they clearly, they, they're just like a bit older. They, they knew yeah. about like how to get some investors and like grow the thing, yeah. the business. But when you're younger, not sure about how to like take things sort of seriously and scale yeah. them. And it was actually a, a shortly afterwards as well. There was a company in America who did the same thing was mm. becoming quite successful but the um the founders were really good and Google acquired them yeah and uh mm-hmm. this was quite a quiet thing but they uh then they stopped the product and they basically bought the company for the founders so they were doing some cool AI stuff cool oh. interesting times yeah yeah it was a pity that you didn't get to carry on with that how come you didn't go back to it after your relationships like when you went next was it just like the uber I think there's always like there's always a million and one ideas. Yeah, and um, so you got distracted by the new thing. And, and it was it wasn't even the new thing. It was kind of like hey, it was I actually it was either going back to that or purple menu. Yeah, yeah. So did you get distracted by purple menu then? Yeah. So basically. this was afterwards. So after this, I just this is when I decided to work, and I went and got a job designing software for basically banks and other big financial yeah. companies in London. And um, then I kind of stopped being entrepreneurial for a little bit and then i moved to london working. and uh then things started becoming entrepreneurial again yeah that's right okay so this is like another year later or something 
don't think it was that, that much longer than Oh, yeah, no. Cause I, yeah, I had like a year of not living anywhere after I left Bristol yeah. base camp. Maybe nearly a year. Yeah, that may. Anyway, not too relevant. But anyway, I moved back into London and then... So we didn't move into the flat in September, but no, till November. So, yeah, our next business venture was... Oh, yeah, I remember when I first mentioned this. We were, we had a meeting with our old mentor, a, yeah. a mutual mentor of ours, Chris. Yeah. You haven't had an interview with him. That would no. be a good one as well. No? Yeah, I did one with Matt from Crowd Emotion, yeah. but Chris from Crowd Emotion is the uh, CFO. Chris and was our mentor, and this is how I ended up working at Crowd Emotion. Chris has a lot of stories. Yeah, he's done so much stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, too many people. Um... We went somewhere by Waterloo, that Mexican place in yeah. London. And um, we t- you were talking about moving. And then I suggested, I think, that we should um, we could do an Airbnb business. Yeah, because our friend Tommy, Tommy had just was, done it. Yeah, that's right. I literally, like a couple of days before, I was talking to Tommy. Tommy about it. And Tommy was getting mm. ready to do it in, um, where is it? Somewhere in East London near... Near Excel. Near Excel. I remember Tommy was originally going over some numbers to make sure it was feasible and he was about to get a super expensive place that he couldn't afford. <laughs> and I was like, are you sure you want to do this? Are you sure this is sensible? You're, where are you plucking these numbers from? Maybe we should like call some of the Airbnb hosts and ask them like how, yeah. what their occupancy rates are like because Airbnb was kind of new, newish. Yeah, yeah. And numbers weren't Tommy, really yeah. that transparent and we didn't yeah. have a, a good idea of what yeah, like, occupancy rates okay, were Okay, so like. the calendar's full but is it just because of like exactly, they've exactly. got some of their dates blocked off or has it actually been booked all this time? time and like just guessing and stuff yeah. and it's huge risk and um and tommy started to do it and then we were like we can do the same so basically we rented a flat for like a three-bedroom flat and um <laughs> there's only two of us so we'd have a spare room that was the original idea <laughs> yeah that's the original idea and uh, it was quite expensive like two and a half grand almost and we had to put in like a deposit of like two months rent as well yeah so it's pretty big investment for something that could go tits up because if we basically I was paying like 600 quid a month rent. Theo had no rent at the time. Yeah. And didn't really want to be paying anything either. <laughs> and so to potentially be paying like two and a half grand rent and stuff was like... And there was a legal, the whole legality area yeah, around yeah. it. We went to, if it was legal, what we were doing, if we'd require um, a hotel license. We'd never told the landlord. Um, <laughs> and we can release this podcast and we, because of, we'll have left the flat by the time it comes out, <laughs> which is also a risk. But anyway, we started and we... Oh yeah, one thing... We both set up a profile for Airbnb. Oh, that for some was reason, Theo got no interest at all. The like, funny <laughs> thing is, I started just before you, so I set up an yeah. account first. And we literally had exactly the same description, exactly yeah. the same photos, and exactly the same order. Everything about our profiles was identical, except for our profile photo. And I didn't yeah. think mine was that unfriendly. It wasn't like I was in a dark... It wasn't like Tommy's, where he's just sitting there in a dark room. Yeah. <laughs> and it looked kind of like, kind of not very friendly. Yeah, but for some reason I just got like booked out, and we both like reviewed each other as well, like in a fake review. And I, le- like, I even left you a worse review. I yeah, left you a four point five <laughs> star or something. Because... Gave like a four star review, which like on Airbnb <laughs> is actually quite bad. And so we almost got super host status in the first like session, but just missed it because of that <laughs> nightmare. And since then things went slightly downhill a bit, and we weren't perhaps such good hosts. But the we beginning was hosts, really good. But the beginning was really good. We had yeah, this, yeah. people were saying that they were some of the best experiences they've yeah. ever had. Oh, we had some great times world. though. We took people out. We did really fun things. Oh man, at the beginning we'd always take guests out if we were going out. We'd always do stuff oh, with them. We still we'd did it. We yeah, were yeah. going out and we'd like actually spoken to them and like. Mm. Or even if I hadn't met guests, I'd still be like, oh, I'm going out. But you know, people were just busy and we didn't like 
force anything. Well, not that we ever forced stuff before, but we did make more of an effort in general yeah, yeah. to be around whenever a guest arrived or whatever, which we kind of just didn't have time to for. I remember when it, came it when it started. So we moved into the flat on like a Thursday at nine or something was when we got yeah, the keys. And, like, and the guests, the first guests were arriving at 10. We yeah. hadn't moved in. We hadn't, we weren't sure if there was going to be any cutlery pans. Yeah, yeah. We had no idea no, what the was, size yeah. of the beds sheets were going to be. Yeah. It was a bit of a gamble. We had these guys arriving from France that we never yeah. knew who were paying to stay in the flat and it was kind of like, maybe yeah. we should have given ourselves more time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I remember like, but it went perfect. Their first inquiry came in, it was like, should I take, yeah, okay. I don't know, screw it, we've never had an inquiry before. Yeah. This is amazing, we've been booked. Now oh, they're really chill. I went for breakfast with them like, near on, around the corner on the last day before they left and, and I still remember them. I still have um they were the when first on... guest as well to have an issue with the Wi-Fi in the top room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's never been that. fixed. I remember once I tried to I took the router and I got an extra long cable and I put tape yeah. along the entire inside of the staircase. Yeah. And tried to stick it to the top. I got it to extend like two meters into the room and mm. stuff. And I took a photo of it and sent it to you on WhatsApp and it was just tape and white. It's going all the way up the <laughs> corridor. I've still got the lady's uh, Google login details on my computer <laughs> because she had an interview one morning for some charity she wanted to work for. She had to use my laptop. So yeah. Nice. <laughs> Should probably inside. delete those. Yeah. But anyway. Who's your most memorable guest? Few. Excluding the threesome. Okay. <laughs> if we're excluding the threesome, then yeah. I think it's worth doing some housekeeping at this point, just to highlight the fact that the threesome did not involve a combination of Theo and myself, much as we love each other. That is not our cup of tea. And I wouldn't call the guests involved guests exactly as I did already know them. So it's not like I'm a sleazy predatory weirdo or anything. So I think it's okay. As to what the uh, lovely Koreans upstairs thought was going on, I'm not sure. They didn't speak any English, but they left a good review. Any more details on this subject can be covered another time, perhaps, maybe. And to also mention that I have now deleted the uh, password keychain from my account from my Mac so that I can no longer see Annette's details. Uh, I never used that maliciously in any way, though quite frequently it would log me into her calendar automatically, which was very frustrating. Who's your most memorable guest? I think the rollerbladers, because I still have them on Facebook and I watch their videos a lot. Oh, they were nuts. Yeah, they're like these massive speed skaters. They have like these huge wheels and like they go so fast. They were travelling for competition, right? They were travelling yeah, yeah, for competition like in professionals. Europe. Yeah, they took some time off. Mm. And they wore these skates, which had like... How big is that? Like, Yeah, like I don't 10 know. centimetres high wheels. And they told us they were skating around London, speeding past the cars, and, and people were just staring at them mm. around the streets of London. And, and I remember you trying their shoes on and just being yeah. like a complete <laughs> fail in the kitchen. <laughs> so that was... Yeah. That was always going to be memorable. Who was that girl... Um, from US but from Thailand yeah I yeah I'm always gonna remember her and I go why am I not working <laughs> but why why not working <laughs> shall I not working oh god <laughs> oh no <laughs> I remember she came into the kitchen once and I was scrubbing hard trying to clean and make the thing shiny she asked me what I was doing I said I need to make it shiny I need to make it clean I need the surface to be clean for the guests 
And she kind of laughed at me and was like, ah, it's okay, I don't mind, I don't mind. And then in her review, she was like, hosts were great, uh, had a really nice time, room is perfect. And at the end, <laughs> she said something like, Theo likes to keep the place super clean. <laughs> <laughs> was like, that was funny. Like, I definitely, she was kind of a guest from hell for most of the time, but by the end... We just suddenly really clicked and we took her out and we had a great time. Still got some photos from that night. Yeah, we're friends on Facebook. She's had a baby. We did have the girl and that guy from Australia who started jamming. And she was loud. Yeah. She was funny. They moved to London, but then they, they moved never to got London, back in touch right. with me. They, they were, were cool. They were really cool. Yeah. She was cool. nice. Can't remember her name. <laughs> but I've got her details. But we never met up. Um, the vegan guys from Barcelona. I was, I was going to yeah. try and see them when I went out. Airbnb makes it ridiculous to try and find people's contact details. They mm. don't have all the all the messages seem to have vanished. Yeah, yeah, they they stop you from like getting in touch with people like yeah. after like one or two weeks after you. Yeah, it's really annoying. You finish your thing so that you can't like organize yeah. like a stay without paying through Airbnb again. Yeah. So if you do run Airbnb or you stay with one, keep the host's like telephone number. Yeah, I do that. Details, otherwise, yeah, you'll never get in touch again. But I mean, even just being able to find them, not just contact them. Oh, really? Just uh, having the history of messages. And um, all the reviews aren't in chronological order as well. They kind of scatter them now. So when you look at the reviews... I didn't know that. Yeah, it's not chronological order. It's not oh, I thought they'd, they'd keep it up to date just so it's, like, it's relevant. Because if, if you're always really clean and then, like, one month you just it goes to shit, yeah. you kind of want to have, like, all the last month's messages there if you're about to book. Whereas if you have, like, four bad reviews but they're spaced over a year, yeah. it's not really... But I think the flip side of that is, I, I think probably what was happening is people who have one bad review, mm. and if that's at the top, yeah, so, I guess it's in right. Airbnb's interest. If like, you if you scatter them, it means that you're you're it's representative of the average of your of yeah, people's experiences. True, but anyway, yeah, when we started, we had like guests every like one or two days, and oh, it was super hard to manage. I remember originally we did one, and you were like, "We can do ah, oh, that was at the cupboard." Yeah. <laughs> so we had like this little cupboard that turns out is the size of like a single bed mattress. <laughs> yeah. Basically, I <laughs> booked two rooms, and so I, I gave up my room upstairs, um, and I slept in the cupboard for, like, a few nights for a guest booking, and then that was fine. So we ended up just, like, taking more bookings, and I basically moved into the cupboard downstairs, and um, then we were able to live for free. Yeah. So that was nice. We were renting out two rooms, and I lived in a cupboard. Yeah. Which, um... For a couple of months, and then we swapped. Yeah, so I kind of claimed the moral high ground by being the first one to do it, but I also did it over winter. And so come, like, springtime, it started to get a bit warmer. I've been in here, like, four months now in this cupboard. I think it's your four turn months. to be in the cupboard. No. No, it's three months. We moved in in November. Yeah. And I remember I by remember. January, January no, I was no, in the cupboard. That. No. Definitely. Because I remember my birthday, we went out and I went into the cupboard, I remember. <laughs> I remember. That doesn't make... No, yeah, I definitely yeah. remember being in there I remember months. my birthday in the cupboard. I'm not <laughs> saying that you weren't in there on your birthday. I don't know why you were. No, I remember. We, it was because we swapped. No. Yeah. We had definitely swapped. Why would I swap on your birthday? Yeah, we swapped before that. Two months or so. You sure this isn't like a whole year later? A year later I was here. I was in mm. Asia. Okay, well, I definitely remember being in there three months to start off with. Or maybe there was that phase where it was kind of we were swapping around for... Yeah, I think maybe we tried it for, yeah. for like a week or two and then it was just like, actually, I kind of prefer just having my own space mm. in like... And then after three months, it was like, okay, now we just I have my own room <laughs> and you can go in the cupboard like, and it will be your cupboard because you just going in my cupboard some nights is just actually more annoying than not. Yeah, I remember that. Not so spaces yeah, stuff. I conveniently then moved out of the cupboard in time for like summer when it started getting hot and... <laughs> And so Theo moved into the cupboard and felt kind of bad about that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty sweaty and 
maybe not ideal. But then, yeah, I'm not really sure what happened. You were in there for quite a long time, and then you met Junior, or...? Then I met Junior, yes. Yeah, because I never had to fully move back into the cupboard. And then I basically, I, um... I installed Happen on my phone, the app. Yeah, so we, well, we had some uh, other events beforehand, Tinder and uh, <laughs> like three or four. Cut! <laughs> Cut! <laughs> I mean, you can't not say something about every caller. Don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I wish I could do the accent because you do it so well. Uh, what was the thing she used to say? I don't know, but she didn't like me. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one day. Ah, um, oh, Sam. <laughs> I remember one day she was like screaming and was like, that's it. I've had more guests in it as well. And she was like, I've had enough. I'm tired of this. Something about being important. And I'm tired of Sam. I'm tired <laughs> of Sam. <laughs> Sam is doing this. He's driving me crazy. And then she just stormed out. I was sitting there <laughs> with the biggest grin on my face. Yeah. Oh, thank God she's gone. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, she was like French, but with a posh British accent at the same time. And it was yeah. kind of confusing. What did she, it was really... No, what did she say? Yeah, you were so good at doing it as well. <laughs> oh, that's a bit she was nuts. And then I met Junior. And uh, we were at that event. We went to these that business conference. Yeah. Where we saw these scammers, professional oh, yeah. scam artists, ripping like tens of thousands of pounds of all of these individuals for yeah, all of these get rich quick schemes, and it was disgusting. And we walked out earlier. It was really sad watching people just throw over their money to things that were like, mm. yeah, it's get rich quick schemes, pure scam. Yeah, not bad. even like creative scams, like mm. just like disgusting. And um, message Junior. The only person I, I messaged on the app. The only time Happen. I like. I can't even remember how the app worked. It was like the first person I liked or something. Yeah. And um, she, I asked her if she wanted oh, that I'm coming back into Bermondsey. And we were planning to go and play tennis. Yeah. We got back. Uh, it was a bit dark for tennis. Decided to walk around by the Thames. Had like a really fun time. Loads of laughs and giggles and stuff. Laid by Tower Bridge on the grass. I think that's the... T- yeah, that was the time where the sprinklers went off. So we were laying on Tower Bridge and the sprink- automated sprinklers go off mm. at like 11 or something. We yeah. completely soaked. So anybody wanting like a first date tip, go lay on the grass at Tower <laughs> yeah. Bridge like 10.50. And, and then and, we Oh, the sprinklers have gone off. Oh. And then we had the good idea to go and play some basketball mm. and went back to my flat, got the basketball and then basically... She completely whooped my ass. <laughs> and it was yeah. like 11, 10 or something. And I was actually trying. And she was quite good. I was really impressed. She was quite sporty. And then basically, I think in the next like six months, there was only a few days where we didn't see each other. Yeah, it went pretty fast. But and then basically, basically from then, like after like a week or something, because she just lives down the road. So was it, it didn't feel like you're moving in something. Yeah, it's just like you <laughs> sort of slept there every night. <laughs> Never be like, well, I could sleep in a cupboard or I could sleep here again. So yeah. I'll sleep here. And um, I remember one time I did come back from something and I was planning to stay at the flat. Mm-hmm. And um, I came into the cupboard and was just like, Fuck. no. <laughs> yeah, also, like, I kept the cupboard perhaps a little bit cleaner. Like, my bed was sort of a bed and I could, like, put it on the side during the day and, like, I'd have space to walk around. Yeah, it was really annoying, bed was kind actually. Of, like, covered in, you, like, Because you gear. would use the cupboard as a de- standing desk. Yeah, so it was so annoying having him in there. That my mattress would just be where it is, like a normal mattress on the floor. Yeah, but also <laughs> covered in, like, clothes and computers and stuff. Yeah, like, like, I remember you were sleeping on top of, like, Frederick's laptop and being like, bro, <laughs> you're borrowing this guy's laptop and you're falling asleep on top of it each night. Like... 
This can't just be in your heap of shit. I think one thing, yeah, to be fair, is that I think basically if I have a room to myself, I don't care. Like usually it's kind yeah. of like a complete mess and I come with like clothes. I'm like, why would I put them in one area when I can just keep them spread out evenly distributed yeah. on the floor? And it doesn't make it any easier to pick up or anything. But then all sharing space, I think in general sharing space, I keep like super clean. I think it was, I think the same in like, yeah, I, think same I did have a mild worry before the Airbnb because I'd uh, been to your place in Bristol. But just my room, right? Did you see what I did to the toilet in there? I completely bleached the whole place to the point mm. where I had to call 111, the emergency like advice yeah. NHS number, because I was coughing up blood Holy from shit. like cleaning like too much with bleach over, wow. like, the, over the holiday. Also, I'm not sure <laughs> if maybe you'd caught something from your room because there was like a layer of, well, Everything was just covered in clothes and stuff. But, like, after the top layer of clothes, the bottom layer was mouldy. And we had to throw away so much stuff from your room. Wait, when? In Bristol. Remember when I oh, came yeah, to your Bristol. place with you? And was like... Um, but to be fair, there was a mould problem in that room. Yeah, like the whole, yeah. The whole room was... It's because the window and the yeah. thingy and the heater wasn't working and stuff like that. There was a mould problem in the room. I think there was mould, like, in the cu- stuff hanging in the cupboard. Mm. There was mold, There was that was where the most mould was, yeah. just to be fair. But did Mother ever <laughs> seen that room? <laughs> yeah. No, no, but to be fair, though, when the state you saw it in was definitely the, like, peak of... Yeah, yeah, it was, like, proper, like, squat. Like, and it was after, it was like... an exam time as well. Yeah. No one, to be fair. Yeah, I remember you just said like, you were quite stressed out about life and things, and I was like, oh, I'll come help you out, man. You get some pretty down. He was like, oh, I just need the help. Yeah, I can't remember what was going on with your life, but... But I think, no, I would always, like, do the most cleaning in, like, the kitchen and stuff. And yeah. Thingy. And I'd always, like, be the Yeah, yeah, you're super, like... No, I meant in that flat that I'm thinking before. Mm. Same as halls as well. No, yeah. Like, yeah. Shared space was always, always good, but I didn't really care about my own room. Because I was, like, I know where everything is. I used to get really annoyed at my mum when she would clean my room. Because I wouldn't know where anything was. <laughs> but I would when it was completely, like, all over the place. Okay. Slowly getting through the uh, business history and life history. So we started an Airbnb flat and that was doing very well. Then we started a, like... So here ends the first episode of the Theo Trio. I'll do a bigger breakdown at the end of the series, but for this episode, my top tips. One, have a nice profile picture for everything. I completely outclass Theo on an identical listing based purely on my profile picture. As well as the fact I looked absolutely stunning in the photograph, I was holding a baby turtle, which possibly helped things. 2. Do the hardest thing first. Work out what is going to be the hardest thing for your team to accomplish, and try doing it. If you aren't ever going to be able to do this thing, maybe spend your time working on something else. 3. Read science. Open yourself up to how the world around you really works and embrace logical reasoning over sentimental thinking. I mean thinking. Thinking is not a word. This leads on to our top books. Theo's favourite book is Stephen Hawking, A Brief History of Time. The masterpiece on the structure, origin, development and fate of the universe, whilst covering the fundamentals of what space, gravity and time actually are and how they influence everything. Ourselves, as the only pieces of matter able to comprehend such subjects, I think it makes sense that every single one of us maybe learns these concepts around interacting with all matter and what put it there and where it's going. But that's just my own opinion, which fundamentally doesn't matter at all, so you are welcome to simply ignore it, forget it, or just not quite find the time. So, 
We love listener feedback on the show. Maybe you can help with some of the questions we raised, like how do you actually define a business? Would you define getting money from lockers or, say, searching a beach with a metal detector a business? I don't know. Anyway, you can't get hold of Theo on social media, as he literally does not have it and is just notoriously hard to get hold of anyway. Easily the best way to talk to him is to just contact me. Even during the bombings in London, uh, his own family called me whilst I was in a different country to get hold of him. And yeah, he's just a hard one to reach. So if you have any questions about any of his business ideas so far, or you want advice on something similar, don't hesitate to get in touch. He'll be happy to talk to you eventually. So this is a three-part trilogy, as I said. So if you enjoyed this first part, be sure to listen to the rest of them. If you have any friends who you think would relate to this episode, I must urge you as a matter of very great importance to please share this with them so that more people actually listen to me and my show maybe gets to carry on longer. So, thanks people. You've listened to an episode of the Growth Mindset Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your preferred app and give me a good rating. I would add, it's been proven that people that give good feedback demonstrate higher IQ and generally just have this irresistible gravity around them that just makes everybody want to be their friends. If you are unable to give good feedback right now, try sharing the show with a friend who will, or just wait for the show to improve. If you have any ideas for the show or you just want to reach out, I'd love to talk to you. On Twitter, I am at Sam Harris Tweets or Instagram, Sam Jam Snaps. You can find the show notes on Medium if you search for the Growth Mindset Podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you enjoy your next podcast. <laughs>